Welcome to A Few More Beers, a podcast about a podcast. Here we discuss, theorize, dig into, and generally nerd out about the actual play D&D podcast you meet in a tavern, starring the cast. Today we have... My name is Joe. I am the dungeon master and host of You Meet in a Tavern. I'm I'm one of your A Few More Beers co-hosts, Emma. Uh, and I'm the other A Few More Beers co-host. My name is Josh. So, today, how long do you have for this recap? Are we still doing it based on... Episode time length? Uh, yeah, sure. What do we got? Okay, you have... It's an hour and 12 minutes, so you have... I got acres of time. One minute and 12 seconds. Give me the timer. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Ready? Okay, hit me. Let's go. So, in episode two of You Meet in a Tavern, our three boys and their newly found rat friend approach a temple that they never really knew was there in a forest that they grew up right beside. Uh, they go in, they find some old books. Uh, Joe introduces these old books and then gives no information with them except that the papers fall apart. Uh, we also meet Tess in this same little area, uh, future lovely woman, but also Arcane Tower observer. Um, they all talk, have fun, banter, figure she's useless, so they move on trying to look for her alleged co-worker named Felix. Uh, we move in, we find a large room with a bunch of statues, which found by a religion trek by Durf end up being priests, uh, Pelor, uh, with one hand open and one hand, uh, held shut, stay, uh, stuck for fan theories. Uh, next room, we find Felix with a great Joe auto-tuned evil voice, um, who is there to, uh, raise upon what we later find out to be the Dread King, also to take Jill, and we have probably the best RP from Brian ever, in a Luke Skywalker-esque no-scream as Jill falls into an endless pit, and uh, the, some people show up to take the boys from the Arcane Tower. Nice! That was awesome! Just in time! Just in time! That was slick! Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's episode two. That will be one half of our discussion for this episode. We're also going to be discussing episode three... Uh, Emma, are you going to give us a description for episode three? Uh, yeah, I can do my best. There it is. There's that confidence. <laughs> I can do my yeah, best. Yeah, for sure you can. <laughs> Let's see it. Okay, uh, are you timing me or am I good to just go? Yeah, hit it. Tess takes the boys to the arcane tower. She drops them off with an old elf named Flynn who gives them a tour on a flying set of seats. Um, and they go through various portals to try to get them to different levels. We see... The cafeteria, we see the um, the library, which is called, oh gosh, the Hall of Knowledge. Like, okay, I got there. Yeah, they basically, they go on a tour. They're kind of confused. They meet Nero. Uh, Durf gets his little earpiece, the Whisker Whisperer, to be able to talk to the rat whose name he learns is Eugene. And then they go to the cafeteria and cry, and then they meet the Archmage, and then he says their city is old and that the Dread King exists underground and then they sleep and also level up nice you guys are good at this oh yeah well we've had a lot of experience within two episodes so yeah um let's start with the second episode what's the what's the title of episode two like the actual canon title is that uh oh um it was uh, the game's afoot the game's afoot the, the game is eight feet the game's afoot right you okay 
This was what I was talking to Brian about last episode. Which part? I was talking about how a game's afoot is like the episode title, but you just miss the opportunity to name it Into the Woods. Another great British piece of media. And I was like, ah, missed it by that much. But the game's afoot is quite good. There was a few investigation checks rolled. It was solid. Yeah, it really just came to me. Like, when I was t- sending the episode, I was like, oh, shit, I have to give this a title. Uh, uh, and bam, there it is. Bam, bam. So, like, is that how all these episodes are named? <laughs> no, well, after that, I just started naming them by the location that they're in. Dash episode number. Let it be known, Joe, you were excellent at identifying your own weaknesses and solving them as the show goes on. <laughs> all right, Emma, what's our first question for a game? So... My first question for the games afoot is, um, so you said you've DM'd one game before this, right? Yes, yes. I DM'd, uh, I started a Lost Minds of Fandelver campaign with some of my friends from high school and college. I think there were like six of us, uh, just a home game. Yeah, that was the first time. Okay, so this is the second time. Did you, after going from a party of, what, five players then? Yeah. Yeah, five or six. Going yeah. from five for six to three. Um, yeah. <laughs> obviously, we've heard tell of the ill-fated wolf encounter, but how did you, like, I don't know, modulate that to try to take on three players instead? And also, on a scale of, uh, you know, one to ten, ten being existential dread, how nervous were you when Carl kept not being able to help in the fight? Um, I was pretty nervous. It, it just it was just bad rolls, honestly. I mean, he transferred those to Tug eventually, so it was, everything was good. Baton has been passed for sure. Yeah, yeah. Moving from six to three wasn't bad. You know, obviously moving from a home game to something on a podcast where you're not like in the same room, it's a totally different story. Especially when you create a podcast where you know you're going to have listeners and you want to create a, a viable story other than just dicking around with bourbon you know at a at a table so it's much different much different feel i prefer having fewer players because i think you can get more in depth with their stories their backgrounds um you know everyone's got a shot at doing what they want to do usually in a session so I, I prefer having smaller smaller number of players that's really cool so like in the concept of dumps and dragons and dming this this thing brought up a lot called the three pillars and that ends up usually being combat exploration and role-playing and so you have Dungeon Mastered a very successful game, created a very good story that many people listen to. Do you try to emphasize the role-playing the most out of those three pillars to try to create a good story? Or do you think that maybe exploration brings that out better? So, yeah, I would say role-playing. Role-playing is most important because I think people fall, you fall in love with a certain character, right? It's why on Discord we have teams where people are like, oh, Team Carl, I love Carl, oh, I love Tug. Team Carl is rabid. Yeah, that, that team's the worst, but sure, continue. I think I love I love the role playing aspect of it. I think that that was something we had to learn to do correctly. Obviously, we we have a lot of goofs outside of the story, and I think that helps to just you know keep the tone right. Uh, we don't want you know we don't want to get too far in the in the role play. It's still a game with a bunch of newbies at D and D, and I think that's why a lot of people like us. So role playing is probably top top tier as far as those pillars go for us. Yeah, not to not to jump ahead, but like. You know, we see, we go for, in these first three episodes, we go from Kirk and Jamal trying to, like, steal everything to, by the end of the third episode, um, you know, Carl's kind of RPing already, or Brian's already RPing as Carl to, like, be sort of the guiding force. Moral compass. 
Could you call him a moral compass? I feel like he's a, a light weight of morals. <laughs> kind of on the ankles. Immoral compass? Moral compass light? Like the free version of the app? Semi-moral compass? Yeah. <laughs> like the unpaid version of the of the moral compass app. By the end of the third uh, episode, we see, like, in the cafeteria scene, you know, Kirk's obviously very, like, he seems to be the most comfortable with RP right off the bat. But he is the one who actually also brings it down, being like, yeah, you know, Jamal's like, uh, Durf and Eugene are going to steal falafel. And Kirk is like, I'm going to cry because our whole village died. Yeah. He brings us back. Can we yeah. talk about that? Like, I think that Kirk or like Tug's character is the most crazy waveform of emotions ever. That guy is either reaching the skies of like, I am mourning everything and I am a sad drunk to like calling a terrifying, like freaky monster in front of him like, a bag of dicks or something. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, that's how Kirk is <laughs> as a person. Uh, yeah, which I think is brilliant. So, in general, just sort of these two episodes sort of started us on our trail. Speaking of exploration, they sort of started us on the road of like the main storyline. And I was wondering, sort of, Joe, how much of this you came up with on the spot? Like, how much planning did you have to do before you started recording? Where did you draw some of your inspiration? Like, just the general, like, to get to us from the beginning of the podcast to plot hook with the Archmage. So, I guess when I first put this story together, I wanted to... Okay, I'm trying to say something without giving too much away. Give us those leaks. Leaks are coming right now. <laughs> no, I don't... <laughs> no, no, no fan theories generated from this. I, I wanted to create a story that uh, involved them in a lot of different things. So, you've seen them... Um, on pirate ships, you've seen them in the desert, you've seen them in a swamp. Like, I wanted to hit every every little trope that maybe a listener would enjoy listening to, I wanted to hit. They went, and then they went to a, a theme park. I mean, I don't know how many people visit theme parks in D&D. But, um, so, I wanted to create a story where they would have to be set on different adventures, because I, I didn't quite know how to bring them to all these places without saying, okay, you need to go collect this thing that's there. And so that's how that's how the story got started. I said, this is what I want to do. Now, how can I create create an adventure, create something that blasts them into this uh, situation? And I figured, OK, well, let me destroy their hometown. And <laughs> they have nowhere else to go except to trust these people who, who throw them into this adventure. So I kind of in the first few episodes, I kind of forced the story along a little bit Um you know, they've made a few decisions where I had to think off the top of my head, the battle with the spiders, a couple of the things that happened um, in the temple as they were trying to fight Felix. And we already talked about this before. Like, there's the difference between podcasts, like, story creation and a normal tabletop game of D&D creation. Like, railroading is something that's necessary when you're trying to create, a like, a long-form story that fans won't destroy it with holes that they poke in it, you know? Like, you do have to do a bit of railroading at the start. I would even hesitate to call it railroading just because it's more starting village to getting to plot hook, you know, and from there they've been pretty freeform. You know, I think there's a, there's a pretty classic style of like the fetch quest with a greater arc. And I think that that works really well in a storytelling format, but I, I, I don't even know if I would call that railroading because it is such a foundational thing for creating a cohesive listenable content. All right, well, you got off the hook this time, Joe. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> we asked Brian last time how he sort of got into D&D, &D, and he said it was pretty much through Kirk and therefore through you guys. 
how did you start playing? Did you start with 5th edition or how long have you been kind of doing this in general? Yeah, sure. So I um I actually I mean you I heard about D and D obviously as a kid, but I never played it. Um it was just the nothing my friends it was funny because we were total nerds. We watched Harry Potter, we watched oh. Lord of the Rings, we did all that kind of stuff, but we never never got into D and D. Um but uh I actually was first introduced to actually playing it when I was a teacher. I taught uh I taught juniors in high school and they wanted to start up a Dungeons and Dragons club and I was available, so I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll grade papers while I watch you guys play. And then, you know, one one day I just jumped in a game because I didn't have much to do. And that's how I first got the feel for it. And then, you know, flash forward a few years later, I was listening to several different podcasts or, you know, trying to listen to trying to find something fun to listen to, listen to some actual plays. And I was like, you know what? I've got a group of friends who have never played or have played very little who would really enjoy this. Um, let's get them together and let's try it out. I, I didn't know how long it was going to last at first. The story kind of develops a little before we record. You know, I, I only ever have two or three episodes in my head. I've got the kind of the ending ready to go, I think. But that's, so anyway, to get to your, the point of your question, that's how I started. started with teaching, joined a club, um, and then just got these guys together. And was that fifth edition, do you remember? That was 3.5, I believe. What was your, uh, what was your first character? Oh, God. I think I played a rogue. I think I played a rogue. Maybe a drow? Drow rogue? It sounds... It's been so long ago. Uh, so, let's swing back to episode two. <laughs> Should be titled Into the Woods. Is titled The Games of Foot. Um, we we approach this this temple, um, which is like the start of our, our classic dungeon crawl. So, when you had this, like, did you have this kind of mapped out in your head? Just like, hey, they're going to be hit this room, meet Tess. We'll hit this room, find these statues. These statues have their um, arms outstretched, kind of like their their uh, like both their arms out and their palms straight up. Except all of their uh, right palms are closed, so their left palms are kind of like palm face up, um, and and their right ones are closed, almost as if they're grasping an object. Those things are going to be fundamental in the end game, um, and then. I have this whole theory. They were holding like an old style oil lamp, as in a light of Pelor, and then their open hand holds the talisman. So we're going to have these lamps introduced very soon, I'm sure. I mean, it might happen. I haven't written it, so who knows? Yeah, fight me on Discord, listeners. In this mind, like, was this dungeon any bigger in your head when you were first making it, or was it just like this scripted out three room thing? Yeah, so I did have a map. I did have a map that I kind of drew up. Most of my maps actually come from Googling. Like, I'll look up temple map or uh k or like mine map when we get the black rock mine and then i'll you know i'll, I'll get on photoshop and i'll erase doors here and put them somewhere else and i'll make different markings where you know once it was a furnace and now it's a dining room or whatever so um i did have a map for the temple so they could have gone into other rooms that they didn't oh no yeah who knows who knows <gasps> god that just now i yeah I'll never well, rest. You heard I'll never first. sleep again. Um, <laughs> that's where the lanterns are kept. Well, don't do his job for him. <laughs> I, I've given Joe enough ammo, I think. You're right. <laughs> I thrive on fan theories. Yeah, so I was about to say, for going on fan theories, there's one circulating that um, in the second episode, Carl has, uses his divine sensibility, or as Brian says it, divine sensibility. Every time I hear divine sensibility, and I love the that. The first time I heard it, I thought that's what it was. Like, the first two times in that episode, I was like, I don't know what divine sensibility is, but uh, okay. It's just real real good nir Nirvana-level comments. So, um, 
his shoes are always practical. Um, so there's a, there's a fan theory about how uh, Jill's wizard hat showed up. And, you know, listening to it, I sort of thought that it was maybe what was underneath it or just the general area. Mm-hmm, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if that's maybe a juicy tidbit we should keep, uh, re-listeners should keep an ear out for. Uh, I think I could debunk that. When they pull up the hat, they see that little piece of the magic map that Tess had. So that was, that was what I was thinking as, okay, this is where the magic is coming from, from this little piece of map. So nothing with the hat. That's sort of what I thought, but I, I wanted to ask just in case. Yeah, sure. Oh, man. The fan theory ammo in this episode was much more than I originally thought. Okay, let's talk about Felix. So we we jump into the next room, and we see Felix. Now, we're introduced to him as, like, what I like to call just, like, late stage in a bad guy arc. Like, he's already committed this, like, dark pact to some other being. Um, And it's kind of unclear in the episode, but, like, I think I've kind of gathered a little bit. He's talking in your super deep auto-tune voice. I think one of the first uses of effects in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, were, we were just starting out, beginners. Don't think in the end game, if the guys meet Felix again, he's going to have a different voice. Cause that no, was just, Joe, you That can't. was just bad. It for was the, just bad. For the folks at home. It'll feel like, it'll be vintage at that point, though. You For the folks at home, Joe looks rather embarrassed. <laughs> it's true. I, d- I don't think you should be, but here we are. Uh, so was he... Okay, this is a question I'm pretty sure you can answer. Was Felix in his right mind doing this, or was he possessed at the time? Yeah, because in listening to the Arcane Tower bit, there people are talking about, two people say they never sensed any darkness in him at all. And it kind of made me think. Yeah, I don't think I can answer that question. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, look, so here's another thing. We can discuss fan theories here. We can also We can also give them a place to grow. Yes. I mean, I don't think, because obviously we haven't concluded the the Felix. We haven't concluded his story, where he is now, what he's yeah, going to do. True. So I don't want to say anything. I'm not confirming or denying anything. I just don't want to, you know. Okay, so we have next up, uh, <laughs> probably, like, I think one of my favorite Brian moments. We have the, like, the Jill fall and the Brian, like, call for no. Oh, Jill! <laughs> Which I thought was great, because previously we hear him go, no, I don't want him. Yeah, I don't want my sister, but I'm devastated. <laughs> yeah, he bonded so well, so quickly. That was very good. So I'm wondering if you, when you're making these things, Joe, I know you said you Google some of the maps and stuff like that. But, um, for example, in the Hall of Knowledge, you talk about uh, picturing the Beauty and the Beast library. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you... Uh, you know, are on the Harry Potter bandwagon, unlike Josh. And you mentioned that you're into Lord of the Rings. And I'm wondering if there's, A, any other descriptors that really sort of you were kind of visualizing another, you know, popular fan base type scenario. And B, how it is that you keep yourself from referencing them. Because I feel like, especially the players, they keep referencing external stuff. But when you describe stuff, I think, and it may perhaps, and correct me if I'm wrong, but perhaps in an effort to keep immersion you tend to shy away from the direct comparisons so i guess i'm asking where you get inspiration from and how you keep that out of what you say to us yeah so so yeah it is hard so whenever i describe something or i'm thinking of a location that i want them to visit i will pull up an image on google 
and I will try to describe it like I see it. So, well, except for, I guess, the Beauty and the Beast thing. But um, in the most, well, are we doing spoilers? I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but. Okay, so in the in the latest arc, or, uh, at the time of this recording, it's Arrow's Edge. I I pulled up a picture of, like, or I, well, at that time, I actually, we actually had art of it. But when it was first created in my story, I thought of Minas Tirith and um, Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. So I draw a lot of inspiration from just the fantasy genre. I love Lord of the Rings. I've all the Zelda games I've played, you know, Harry Potter, all that kind of stuff. And I think it helps the listener um, when they can draw on something that they've seen before. So if I can give a description that that sounds a lot like Minus Turret, right? And they'll say, okay, this is what I'm going to picture in my head. If they've seen it before, it helps them become immersive in that environment because that they they recognize the description as something they've already known so it's it's difficult for me and obviously sometimes we do say like oh well, you know think of harry potter or think of beauty and the beast right, right, right. but i like to put that image in people's heads so that, that they have a better idea of what what to create in their own mind's eye i guess okay so location description and you already talked about how you wanted different tropes of adventures and different settings set up was their new home base, like the Arcane Tower, was that one of those? Did you want, like, a Mage Tower classic wizard hideout to be one of those genres? Uh, yes. Yeah, I definitely wanted them to interact with wizards in some way. I knew that I would have to get them to these locations, you know, so I was like, okay, what's the easiest way to get them there that they're not going to screw up? Portals. What would Who would be able to create portals? Wizards. All right, Wizard's Tower. You're kind of a working backwards sort of scenario. Right, exactly, exactly. When you are along the lines of um, being able to describe things in a way that people can picture perhaps another fantasy, well-known fantasy setting, scenario, when we first enter the Arcane Tower, uh, there's the portals and people rushing around in the dark robes Mm -hmm. and stuff, and I got a very vivid mental image of the entry hall of the ministry of magic ah that's perfect that's exactly what i was thinking of when i thought so that's 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 awesome because i was when you were talking about like how you would like people to picture this stuff but not Mm -hmm. pull out of immersion i was thinking about the number of times that i've been able to do that and like i think that really speaks to like your craft as a dm that you're able to just say enough about a place without naming it that my brain automatically went oh i've been there before right exactly exactly and i think you know we're we're it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Chances are, I guess, with the exception of Josh, glaring exception of Josh. I've watched the movies. I just hate them. Yeah, people have seen these locations before. You know, people that play D anD D have watched Harry Potter, have watched Lord of the Rings, enjoy that kind of stuff. Right, they're at least culturally uh, uh, adjacent to yeah, perhaps right. these things. Um, so along the lines of being able to describe stuff, I was wondering how much of the arcane tower was off the top of your head, like um, Teddy's tater tots, perchance. Oh yeah, that was Pharaoh's falafels. That was well thought out. That was a month worth of planning. That was unreal planning. <laughs> I thought of some names ahead of time, but I ended up scrapping them and going with those anyway because that's what came up to the top of the head, and I just thought it was funny. How do you generally come up with names? Like, what do you, are you pulling from a particular base? Do you use a name generator? Like, uh, you mean like for characters and spots? Yeah, for characters and also like the Whisker Whisperer. Like, that was. Yeah, that one came off the top of my head too. I didn't know what I was going to call that. I've used name generators before. Uh, Flynn, I don't know. I don't, I honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything structured for the names. A lot of the NPCs are, are patron people. A lot of them are just like, okay. Old elf. What could a name be for an old elf? And I don't want to do like 
uh, Rasputin or I don't know. So I don't want to. I didn't want to do these crazy fantasy names. I mean, so, there's some that are that are fantasy. Names. Rasputin's definitely for real. Definitely real. I know it is. I know it is. I don't know. Uh, I'd, uh, um, Just like Elrond or something. But <laughs> Elrond, right? I didn't want to name anybody in this podcast Elrond. Yeah, that's fair. I was just gonna gonna talk about the the whiskering the whisker. I just said it, the whisker whisperer. The whisker whisperer. Yay! We get to see the face. Um, it's something else, folks. Um, so, so the so reason, the, yeah, that that whole part, the reason that Kirk was dying with laughter is because while I'm recording that, ever Nero's voice, I stick my fingers in my mouth and pull my cheeks apart, and there. They were not expecting that, so I was talking like this the whole time. That's incredible. It kind of it emulates the the orc tusks. That's exactly what I was thinking. Was thinking. It's that's so clever because you you take a moment and you're like, how do I? What is he gonna? You we don't see anything, but suddenly, suddenly Kirk's dead. So he's dying. He's in the other room on the floor. Um. So with the with that piece of technology, you were planning to give it to Jamal slash. Durf, but um, did you come up with the specs on the spot, or did, how did you decide you wanted to give him a way to communicate with his little beastie friend? A lot of people actually gave me some flack for that afterwards, because they were like, he's a druid, he's able to do that at level 2 anyway, like, why are you doing that? And then I was thinking, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know his character. I've never played a druid before. I didn't know that was actually an ability he gets, so I thought, okay, I want him to be able to talk to this thing, and I want him to be able to use this as, like, a utility in the adventure, use the rat that he can talk to, so I had it ahead of time. That's why Nero was like, Hey, let me see your rat. Let me show you what this machine can do. So I wanted to introduce them to the machine, but at the same time, give them something for free that was useful. So I, I did have that ahead of time. It didn't have it named or anything. But can we talk about that for one second? Of like how the fans, how often do you get fans like talking to you about like mistakes you've made with rules or just like mechanics that aren't utilized? Is it like every episode? It's not. It's not every episode, and and for the most part, you know, ninety eight percent of them are very. In, they're in good. Um, yeah, positive. They're not like they're not critiquing negatively. Right. They're they're positive. They're like good hey. intentions. Yeah. It's yeah. like you know, and I love that about the Dungeons and Dragons community. You know, as a whole, they're they're very like, hey, listen, you're the DM. You can do this however you want. But I thought I'd let you know this is what the rule is, and you know, sometimes I change it. Right. So Emma Brian could have a succubus as a familiar. It'd be fine. Nope, that's still a person. It's still weird demon slavery. I am not for it. I will not abide by that mentally. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, and like sometimes we'll we'll change things based on that, and sometimes I'll just be like, no, you know what? I kind of like it how it is. We'll just leave it. So we try to follow the rules as much as possible. Sometimes entertainment value surpasses rule lawyering. Yeah, I also I also think that like another thing that really drew me to this podcast right away and I think might touch on this or I guess kind of merge with it nicely is the fact that you brought unearthed arcana stuff to them. And I think that's already like, okay, Hey, look, you know, we're here for fun. And obviously we're also here to tell a story, but we're going to go, you know, at least slightly off the rails here and you're welcome to do that. And you gave them these cool items and, you know, you let them take circles that are or paths that are or subclasses that are not necessarily in the, printed editions of the books or haven't been play tested fully yet and i think that's really cool and i think it also it goes into the theme of like perhaps this might be a beginner's podcast or the reason people some people like this is because it's just kind of kind of newer people to the game i definitely i mean i wanted them to enjoy their characters i didn't want to force anybody into something that they didn't want to play 
especially like I, I told him off the bat, this is probably going to be a two year at least commitment. So I want to make sure he's 100 percent into it and you're 100 percent doing, you know, what you want to do with your character. I'm not going to I'm not going to hold you back unless there's something completely broken and the tug is heading in that direction right now, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. That's not even his fault though. That's just, that's just items that you've allowed him to purchase. No, no, it's not. Yeah. That's just, yeah, I know. It's totally, it's totally on me. A hundred percent on me, you know, but, um, but yeah, you know, I wanted them to enjoy what they're doing because this is a, it's a big commitment. Uh, so my next question was going to be, I mean, we got to talk about the Archmage and essentially like the, the, here's the story that you, you granted in front of your players, just all of the exposition. What I want to talk about first, though, is that you did something that not a lot of DMs did. Like, I think a lot of DMs are prepping in their mind, like, okay, this is the Call to Adventure episode, so I'm going to make, like, that the whole episode. But we also had, like, crazy falafel thieving in this episode, right? Like, it was a good, good split between comedy, call to action story, and even, like, a little bit of that, like, emotional attachment. Which I think was, like, I think this is the best episode in, like, the first ten episodes, in my opinion, honestly. Like, I think I think episode three was solid. Was this an episode you were afraid to record? Like, having to do this, like, call to adventure, like, Archmage thing? Was this one that you were kind of nervous for? It definitely was, because it sets the picture, it sets the story, the groundwork for the rest of the adventure. It says... Here's the history that you didn't know about your town. Here's what happened. And obviously he had some secrets that the Archmage kept from them at first. But yeah, it was it was nerve wracking because you, know, you want to get everything out that uh, keeps people engaged. You want us this, you know, this is this sets the scene for the rest of the podcast. So I was a little nervous. I actually thought they would go to the Archmage immediately. I didn't I'd expect all that other stuff to happen. So I was kind of I was thinking that, all right, we'll get into the really good story bits first. So people that are just listening to the episode are going to hit this. You know, and then we'll do some goofing around exploring the Arcane Tower. But it didn't work out that way, which is fine, which is, it worked out, you know. But yeah, yeah, I was totally nervous about it, but I, I think it went well. That could be a subtitle to the entire show. You meet in a tavern, but it didn't work out that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Including meeting in a tavern. Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was spot on. So you mentioned that the Archmage obviously had things that he kept from them for whatever intentions. I think they were kind of already a bit explained to us. Did you, Joe, the DM, know those things first? Or were those additions that came in later? I didn't. I didn't. At that time, I did not. I did not learn those additions. I don't want to get it. In case there are spoilers, those additions came after episode seven and a half when I found out. I asked them, I said, you guys create backstories. And we're going to do an episode where you get into character. We start character voices. And you guys tell me backstories that people don't know from the first seven episodes or whatever. And at that point, and I didn't know anything about their backstories until we recorded. And they were like, okay, here, here's what my character is. And from that, I developed that part of the story, which is actually kind of how they are developing the world and the entire story. You know, it's not just me. We're doing this together. Oh, yeah. Player involvement in story is something that I honestly don't think that Dungeons & Dragons is designed to do very well. However, I think if you as a DM can pull it off, it makes the game a hundred times better. I also think that's why the whole thing where 5th edition is much more amenable to that, because it gives you a background, and it gives you bond, flaw, personality, trait, and um, I always forget this one, the value, whatever your value is. But along the lines of backstory, we heard a couple of times that 
the guys were restricted to certain races, and I was wondering which ones in particular you allowed and which and why, perhaps. Yeah, so it was really just based off the story and the world that I created. So they they grew up in Woodhaven, which was um, essentially a, a podunk town, if you think of the, the United States, like a Midwest podunk farm town that, you know, most of their pe- most of the people live there the whole life. They never exit the city walls, blah, blah, blah. That was Woodhaven. The Shire, if we were going for Lord of the Rings. Right. The Shire. Right. Yeah, perfect. So I said, no tieflings, and I said, no dragonborn. And you guys can pick from anything else in that. I'm going to say Woodhaven is mostly human. It's got some halflings, dwarves, elves, those kinds of people. But, um, yeah, none of the exotic races that you would find in specific locations like the Underdark. So that that's all. That's the only restriction I gave. That makes total story. sense. I was just curious which ones, if there was any in particular. But it makes sense. It would be like the one the humanoids that look mostly human. I think that that the that choice that you made. I don't know how much of it actually was your decision, but I think it did a really good job of doing the starting character gets out of the starting area and encounters things they've never seen before as soon as they hit the mage tower. Because like. Kirk and Brian and Jamal themselves haven't interacted with D&D wizards, but neither have these three characters. So it like it created this perfect double layer of like, yeah, we have no idea what the heck goes on in a mage tower. Exactly. And it was perfect. Yes. Of course, there's floating seats that travel to different places. Yeah. I tried to hit the fact that they are level one. They know nothing about anything. You know, a lot of a lot of games will start. Oh, I'm level one. But I'm I'm a wizard who did all this heroic stuff before, and that's my background. It's like you're level one. You have six health points. You haven't done anything. So I wanted to hit the fact that yeah, and I think it's good that both the characters themselves were beginners and the players were beginners because it kind of we are all learning this together. Both Kirk, Jamal, Brian, Tug, Durf, and Carl all together are kind of figuring it out. So oh yeah, it it worked absolutely perfectly. It's uh, be- beautifully coherent in a delightfully messy world (laughs) (laughs) there you go that is that's a great description thank you okay i'm trying to remember so do you have anything like when you look back at the mage tower arc mage speech to give to them did you have any like like things you're like i really wish i would have added that or i really wish that like that one more thing would have been said just like make it a bit more clear you know i think that's that's the case in all dungeon masters you know after people leave a session you think oh, you know, shit, I really should have hit that point. You know, but in a podcast, it's like, I can plan for that later. I I can definitely figure out how we're going to do that later, and I have plenty of time to to think that up. So, yeah, I mean, there were things. I can't think of anything right off the top of my head, but... All right, we're coming up on, like, close to the end of our time. So, final, final questions. Do you have any final questions for Joe, Emma? I think you touched on it a little bit before, but I was kind of interested in... I know you described, like, wanting to get people to certain locations and the, you know, the fetch quest type scenario set up. I was wondering, and you know, you, you said you only have a couple episodes ahead of time in your head. I was wondering how long it takes you to plan an arc. I don't know. Like I think of it driving to work. I think of it driving home from work. I think of it at work. I think of it at home, you know, little pieces here and there. Um, and it depends on the arc. Uh, Cotton Candy Village was definitely an arc where I was planning the next episode a couple days before we recorded and i was like okay where are they going to go next what's going to happen it was very and that was just a busy time for me i think that was when you know charlotte was born it was just i didn't have a whole lot of time so that arc maybe total oh gosh i don't know it, on average an arc 
you know, how many hours I either plan or think about it or write it down. I'd say it's like a 40 hour work week per arc. I think over total, probably, you know, total amount of time, maybe 40 hours. That makes sense. Planning it all out in, in bits and pieces. Yeah. I have, I have one more question is quick. I promise. Uh, if you were to play a character in this game, mm. what race, class, background type thing would you choose? In the, in this game, in this world? Yes. And like specific, if you were with this party. Oh God. Now is this based on what they need? I, that's up to you. You can pick. Try to try to turn off your DM not kill the party instincts. Alright, so yes. Okay, so I think I would choose Oh man, that is a tough question. I would love to see a Nero type character travel with the party. Like a tinkerer style? A, a tinkerer, yeah, like machinist, big, burly orc. You know, they have Carl, but he's still like, you know, a college kid paladin. He doesn't always use his sword. He's kind of like scrawny. Maybe he hasn't filled out yet. <laughs> right, but I think like a big, beefy, someone with a lot of utility and a lot of gadgets and a lot of tricks up his sleeve uh, would be would be fun as a fourth person. Yeah, that's what I would choose. Yeah, that seems like an awesome character. I love that. Yeah, as someone to be like, okay, listen, guys, you want to do all this stuff, but I have a much simpler solution to this problem. The surprisingly elegant solution. Yes, exactly. What about you, Josh? Got any last questions? Yeah, I think my final question would be, Joe, I've given you many a fan theory on the Discord. Many, many. <laughs> yes. Is any one of those over 50% true? You don't even have to tell me a specific. You just have to give me a yes or no answer. Is any one of your... I'll say... Do you want me to sum them up? No. I think I know which one's yours, but I'll say overall the Fan Theory channel has been very good. Ooh. Bogus answer, but fine. That's all I'll say. No, man. I'm all about it. I'm about it. I'm, I do not... I don't... I'm happy with that. That I can live with. Yeah, well, you didn't get any affirmation like I wanted. Uh, okay, well, thank you, Joe. Thanks so much for coming on and being willing to discuss uh, the ancient history of your meet in a tavern. No, absolutely. Yeah, this is a blast. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to future, uh, a few more beers episodes to be on.